From Vinepair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Dieter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And it's the Friday Vinepair podcast, Friday before Thanksgiving. Yeah. Whoa. I can't Whoa. believe it's Thanksgiving already. Yeah, at least it's finally, like, chilly. At least it's finally chilly. It was like, mm-hmm. this, this, I don't know if you, you know, it's just like, let's go. Let's get to, let's, I want, like, you know, cool, crisp fall. Yeah. Like I haven't had that yet. I've had, like, more, like, warm, clammy fall. <laughs> no one has ever, no one has ever wanted that. <laughs> Sounds like summer. Yeah. Sounds like summer. Uh, <laughs> but the problem, but the problem with that weather in fall is that it gets cold or like quicker at night, and so you get that like gross, like oh, I was hot and now I'm cold. I don't like that. Yeah, yeah it's not, not fun. So you know what is really fun about Thanksgiving though is serving fun drinks, and I know we're gonna have a more like Thanksgiving episode next week. So get ready, get ready. But uh, one thing I'd like to serve at the end of the meal is dessert wine. Uh-huh. But I feel like this probably isn't even a hot take. I feel like it's just like the truth. I don't think dessert wine's ever going to really happen in the United States. I don't think it's ever going to be a thing that like people get really excited about. Like it's, you know what? I don't think dessert wine's ever even going to get to the level of people's like obsession in certain markets with Amaro. Yeah. Like I think that dessert wine is doomed to be like the afterthought of most everyone forever. Well, where does dessert wine happen? Like, are there other countries where it's really big? Yes. I mean, relative to the United States, yes. I mean, the UK, I think, has been a big driver of the dessert wine industry historically. Okay. Uh, you know, port, sherry, uh, sherry in all styles, but certainly the sweeter styles. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think within the countries that produce a lot of it, so whether that's, you know, some of the European uh, wine regions and countries, you know, France, Italy, uh, Spain, obviously, Portugal, but also I think you see more of a tradition of it in places like Australia, South Africa, where, okay. you know, it was settled by, uh, in part by English colonists and they set up the, they helped kind of establish the wine industry. And there's a stronger tradition of sweet wines there. Although I think in those countries as well, they are no longer nearly as uh, important or popular as they once were, but that's never been really the case here. Um, like the domestic sweet wine industry with the exception of things made from like Concord grapes, et cetera, it has not really ever been, as far as I'm aware, any kind of, I mean, it's a very, very, very small part of the domestic wine industry, even, you know, when compared to how popular it is, uh, you know, as a consumer product. Well, and what's so weird about it is like, you know, <clears throat> you'll hear producers who have dessert wine, who make dessert wine, that are be like, I don't understand it. Like Americans love sweet things. Like why do, you know, America is, that's the reputation is like, you know, we're the country of Coca-Cola. So everyone's yep. like, I, I don't get it. Like they love sweet things. Why don't Americans drink dessert wine? But I think it's like one of those, that classic issue in America where like we say we don't like sweet, even though we like sweet. So mm-hmm. if you tell us it's sweet, we don't like it. And I think that really does plague dessert wine it, very, very uh, dramatically here for whatever reason. Yeah, I think there's the like or talk dry, drink sweet thing that you're talking about as part of this. I also would be curious to hear from each of you. I think there's also this unfortunate connotation. Well, there's like these weird two things that affect dessert wine that are both totally contradictory, but I think also are true for a lot of people. One is that we think of sweet things as unsophisticated. Um, you know, they're they're sim- it's not just a matter of people thinking that 
oh, I don't want to drink a sweet thing because I think it's unhealthy, but also that wanting sweetness in, in beverage in particular makes people feel like they're unsophisticated, potentially. And at the same time, we also view dessert wine as a category as very, very complicated, hard to understand, maybe because it's not a big part of the culture here. People don't have a great understanding for even what are some of the famous sweet wines of the world and when you might have them and how they're different. And I have a funny anecdote about this that I will share uh, very briefly, which is, so I was at a uh, event a few, I guess probably a month ago now, and it was very nice, uh, nice meal, a lot of interesting stuff, but there was a very curious decision to me, which was, uh, you know, you get to the final course, the dessert course. And of course there's going to be a, you know, there were wine pairings with everything. And most of the pairings were, you know, well thought out, uh, tasty, et cetera. And then they were serving a chocolate dessert with a late harvest Riesling. And I was like, what? Like, this makes zero sense. The wine was good. The dessert was good. They did not go together at all. And I think it's this weird point of like, people just, they, they don't really understand or are, intimidated by the differences within the dessert wine category, which has a lot of different styles within it, but they're not things that people deal with regularly. So they don't, it just, again, it feels like a lot to, to try and understand. So you think they just thought like sweet and sweet. So that's it. I guess that's, I mean, I I didn't, I didn't, uh, I was, I was not really trying to be a jerk. So I didn't go like ask the people who put the dinner on what their, what the, what the thought behind it was. But, uh, my table and I were speculating that someone just was like, well, here's our sweet, here's a sweet wine and here's a sweet thing. So they go together, right? Oh, see, I think that's why, that's why dessert wines aren't like really big in the United States, because I feel like we have a very strong dessert culture and that's sweet things. We don't have like a cheese course after the meal, um, like you would find in some places in Europe. And I feel like sweet wine with a sweet dessert, like really just doesn't make sense. And so when would you have dessert wine otherwise? I suppose you have it in place of a dessert, but we do have... Well, I don't know that I agree with that. I think a lot of there are a lot of great pairings. I mean, you can absolutely pair sweet wine with less... With savory things, like I said, cheese course. But I think, you know, there are times and places where a dessert wine... And again, to be clear, too, dessert wines can range pretty widely in actual sweetness. Sure. I mean, yep, yep. from something like a Takaya Sencia, which is like essentially a syrup, to, you know, uh, like the aforementioned Late Harvest Riesling, which is, you know sweet but not like incredibly blow your mind sweet which is actually part of the reason why it was a bad pairing because the dessert was sweeter than it so it made the sort of wine taste weird and not as sort of uh you know sweet and indulgent as you might want it to otherwise so i I think you can go sweet on sweet but i do agree that some for some people too that feels like overkill right yeah yeah i think it's just a matter of like not really understanding when to have them or the right occasion for them or how to pair them properly Yeah, I mean, I think sort of what you're also getting at, Joanna, right, is that we don't like – we don't have this tradition of like things at the end of the meal in the same way of like, oh, you know, like the entrees are over. Like let's have a cheese course. You know, we should have cheese to, you know, settle the stomach or whatever, why ever we're having cheese, right? Like I think – and I think that's why the Amaro movement has blown up in the way that it has in – cities like New York, because it's very easy for the beverage people team to explain what Amaro's use is, Yeah, which is mm-hmm. like, this is the drink at the end of the meal that helps settle your tummy. And everyone's like, oh, my tummy's a little upset. I could totally <laughs> use, you know, I over, I overate all that rich red meat. I could totally use a little Amaro. And so it's, it's something that's really easy to understand. Whereas like we we're bad at explaining why you would have the dessert wine besides the fact that like, oh, it's kind of like 
it's the liquid dessert, you know, it's the sweet mm-hmm. ending to your meal. It's a nice pairing with certain other desserts. It also could be the dessert with cheese as opposed to you then having something ridiculously sweet. Like everyone in America doesn't need to have a molten chocolate cake or, you know, brownie batter or whatever the hell people are eating for dessert, you know, at the end of every meal, you can have a nice little glass of dessert wine instead, but we're just not used to that. So I think because we don't have that that often, it's just something that feels very foreign and like really honestly only gets poured in the, you know, American dining experience at like really, really high end restaurants. And I would say often only gets poured at really high end restaurants to the majority of people who don't have a passion for them when like you You elected to do wine pairings. Exactly. And like, you're like, Oh, okay, cool. Never thought to get this. This is interesting. But for the most part, like, no one's thinking about dessert wine in the general American dining experience. Uh, and yeah. I don't really think they ever will be. Well, I think yeah. I have another two like ideas here. I think one is also in, in the States, we don't have a very strong post-meal drinking tradition. No. Like we don't have one specific one that is kind of accepted. Like people will do different things. You can have another cocktail. You can have a spirit. But like – you could have dessert wine if you want, but it's not – or Amaro, like you said, Adam. But I don't think we're loyal to any one thing, whereas in other places they might be. And I also think that dessert wine is a tough value proposition to people too because I think sometimes they're expensive and the better ones probably are more expensive. And I think that might be just like kind of a hard justification to add yeah. on to a meal. Yeah, that's true. I mean – I think so. I, I actually have this. This this brings me to something I wanted to to throw out here as a possibility too. I think one of the reasons why uh, dessert wine as a category has struggled is that, especially when dining out, but frankly, even when entertaining or, or dining at home, we as Americans eat so much faster than Europeans. Like the amount of time that you spend on a meal is so much shorter. And that only that compresses a lot of things into that short period of time. And I think part of the reason we don't have a a strong after dinner drink culture in the same way that you see in Europe is because like, I'm sure you have both experienced this when dining uh, in Europe compared to dining in New York or other places. Like a lot of places you go out in Europe, there's not another turn on that table. Like you are there and if you then order another drink, that's great. That's more revenue. The table is not going to be, you know, uh, reset and reset. And, you know, a, a restaurant is in the United States in most places, you know, a lot of the time is looking to get you up and out as soon as you've finished the bulk of your ordering and your two top ordering two, you know, whatever, $17 glasses of port or something isn't really going to make a big difference to them, especially if you're going to sit there for another half hour. Uh, when they could perhaps turn that and be a you know a whole new uh, you know dinner service for another uh, two top or whatever yeah and I think in Europe you just don't see that as much and so I think it allows for more of that you know that sitting after you've finished your meal after yeah. you've finished eating you might well sit there for another hour um, and the same is true you know Adam you mentioned at the beginning that you know you like to serve dessert wine at Thanksgiving well Thanksgiving is like one of the few meals we have in this country where most people. The, the sort of process of the meal, the time from when you sit to start eating to when you kind of consider it over might span multiple hours. It might span three or four hours, depending on your family or, right. or a group of friends or whatever. And so there, yeah, you know, you've you've probably eaten. You might have taken a little walk. You've come back. Maybe you've had your pumpkin pie or whatever you choose to have uh, for dessert. And then it's like, yeah, you know, you know what sounds like nice garbage. is a little something. 
Okay, well, fine. Your pecan pie, whatever the thing you have is, I you know wasn't wasn't meaning to get into that. Uh, the oh, we'll get there. We'll again. go. We'll go. We'll go next there next week. week. Yep, yep. We'll yep. go there next week. But I, it's trash. It's trash. Okay. Well, yeah. Point is, whatever the thing you might be having to finish your meal, you're perhaps you're a, a family that has a cheese course uh, after your <laughs> Thanksgiving meal. I don't know. Uh, point is, I want to be in that that's family. One of, <laughs> well, that may be what my family does. I, I'm not gonna. We're not gonna get there yet. But uh, anyway, oh, I think the did point I just is say that, I want to be a Jabal. Well, you know, everyone does deep down. Uh, <laughs> it's like the ten, it's like the ten and bombs. You know, you just want to be one of us. The point I was trying to make was that's one of those few meals that we have on the calendar for most of us that we do take a lot of time over. And it's not surprising to me that that's an opportunity. I think the other thing about dessert wines at home, in particular, is like. And I, this is a problem I have. I we have a few bottles of dessert wine in you know in our cellar that are from you know a few places we've been or special things. You know, there's Caitlin and I each have like at least one uh, like birthier bottle of port, but like even a half bottle, those are like three seventy five uh, bottles. Like that's a you know you're gonna only drink a couple ounces at a time, even if you're really enjoying it for the most part. And it's really hard to kind of or it's harder to find the occasions where. You know, opening a bottle like that, even though dessert wines have, you know, a decent shelf life, they're certainly longer shelf life than a, a table wine. You just like, it's kind of hard to be like, okay, I'm going to really do this. And especially as you were, as we've been alluding to, we are more, uh, have more options than ever as far as if you do want that after dinner or something, right? I've got yeah. lots of Amaro at home. I've got other, you know, sort of liqueurs I have, you know, I can make myself a cocktail. There are a lot of possibilities for a, drink that might finish my evening or be or feel like the thing that kind of comes at the punctuation mark and unfortunately yeah i think dessert wine gets squeezed out a lot there because it's you know yeah it just doesn't quite it doesn't quite hit the way that maybe it used to maybe there were fewer options and i think the last piece of it is like i think sweetness used to be more special i think we've talked about this on the pod before but like Mm -hmm. historically a sweet thing was a was really a treat you know we were not people were not awash in really sweet items, you know, refined sugar was not widely available. It was, you know, uh, high fructose corn syrup didn't exist. And so, you know, I was thinking about this earlier today as I uh, raided my son's (laughs) Halloween candy stash, (laughs) because it was just that kind of moment. And I needed uh, some Reese's Pieces. And uh, I was like, you know, a hundred years ago, if I needed something sweet, I probably would have had to turn to a sweet wine and I probably would have been glad to do so. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I guess true. Well, I mean, look, I think if you have a very special dessert wine, it you know it will convince you as to why they are really cool. The problem is we don't often find ourselves in situations where we're having those. And then even at, in that case, when we do have one, I find that it's very rare for us to like remember them in the future, right? Or like, you know what? I should stock some dessert wines. Um, yeah. I think for all the reasons we've all said, right? Whereas like, again – Having a really nice glass of Amaro once and then saying, you know what? I should have a few bottles of Amaro around feels much more approachable for whatever reason to most of us. Um, Mm -hmm. When Amaro, even given the herbs, is probably just as sweet, has just as much sugar. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. So anyways, but if you have a dessert wine that you love, let us know. The podcast is at vinepair.com. If you make a dessert wine, I think we should try it. Hit us up at podcast at (laughs) vinepair.com. And uh, Zach and Joanne, I'll talk to you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, 
but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So the Vine Pair podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington in Zach Chabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire Vine Pair staff and everyone who's been involved in making Vine Pair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.